Greetings and welcome, welcome from the team at OMC to each and every one of you. This is week six of the eight weeks mindfulness frame by frame new course developed by Mark Williams. We're delighted to have Mark continue to take us all through these taster sessions. Now for all of you who have been with us week to week and those who are joining us new today, how wonderful. It is so lovely to have a sense of where you're joining us from and from all of you to have this wider sense of the wider community here in this very moment gathering together. And here I am also in New Zealand early in the morning and I'm sure some of you are in the various time zones. Mindfulness really has this sense of being able to awaken us or even to get us out of bed. So we're all converging from all corners of the world and this ability for us to do so for mindfulness to bring ourselves and all people together. So the theme of week six today is around exploring difficult emotions. Now it's really natural in our lives that we face difficult emotions and challenges and how mindfulness can help us see clearly and cultivate healthier attitudes of being. It's giving us opportunity to live with more ease despite the challenges. As one wisely compassionate contemplative teacher mentions, we have the potential to cultivate not struggling with the struggles. I feel ever grateful hearing firsthand the impact for those who have experienced the course. And Mark has so skillfully and so caringly developed the frame-by-frame -frame program based on the science of how our minds works and in many ways explores this as more. And now, it is with my warmest heart that I hand over our time to dear Mark. Thank you, Elin. Last time we were likening the mind's activity to a photo burst like those phones where by keeping your finger on the button, uh, you often accidentally capture a whole series of images. But there's a difference. In our minds, the next series of images rapidly go beyond the original data to create a convincing video stream in the mind. It feels true because no matter how sketchy that data was at that first moment, the images from your own past are already complete and ready to roll. They've been worked on a lot. So if the first image is a moment of real pain or distress, the following images capture that distress and maintain it, even if the underlying data has changed. When this happens, it can easily make us feel we're out of control. We say, this is ridiculous. What's wrong with me? I should pull myself together. Notice how unkind this reaction is towards ourselves. So in our first short meditation, let's practice bringing kindness to ourselves. So coming to sit now. And feeling your feet on the floor and your body on the chair. And noticing what your anchors are. Is it the feet or the Contact with chair, perhaps your hands, maybe sounds, or the breath. Making a choice. And receiving the sensations that are available from this place. And then a short guided imagery where we're going to bring to mind someone 
who has been special to us, maybe a loved one, someone who cares for us or who cared for us, or maybe someone who made a special act of kindness to us. We may not have known them very well, but an act of kindness, and we really appreciated that. So bringing to mind now that person, someone we appreciate or appreciated in the past. If no one comes to mind, you might bring to mind a, a beloved pet who loves you or or loved you. But imagine they were here now, here beside you now. And feeling their sense of support. Sensing their, their love and care. hearing what it is they would wish for you, that you be safe, that you be free from harm. They would want you to be happy and healthy. They would wish for you that you live with ease and, and with peace. if it's possible right now to feel that being surrounded by their love and attentiveness. And then at a certain point, seeing if it's possible to bring that same sense of care to ourselves. You may wish to say to yourself, may I be safe and free from harm. May I be happy and healthy. May I live with ease and with kindness, in peace. Sometimes if there's a lot happening in your life, it may be possible to say, may I be safe in the midst of this? May I have peace in the midst of this? And then when you're ready, coming back to your anchors, receiving the sensations from your own body. The sense of completeness, just as you are. And then allowing the eyes to open if they've been closed and taking in the room again. Over the past couple of weeks, 
both in meditation and in everyday life, we've been practicing sensing the feeling tone. For negative sensations, thoughts and emotions, we first make a gesture of recognition. Ah, this is unpleasant. And then a gesture of allowing. It's okay not to like this. It's natural not to like it. And last week we added a gesture of calm and clarity. No action needed right now. The aim was not to be passive, but to restore just enough distance so we could more easily see when the thoughts that are driving us to distraction are mental events, mirages, some people call them, or indeed the photo burst. Then we're in a better position to take wise action when it will be needed, rather than exhaust ourselves imagining all the emotion-driven actions we probably won't take. If this week you found time to say no action needed right now, perhaps we'll open the chat for a couple of minutes now, put a word or phrase in the chat to summarize what you discovered, if anything. So we'll open the chat now, feel free to write a word or a phrase. Right, weight off my shoulder, sense of relief, powerful, freedom, calmness, release, stand down, huh? those troops, compassion, lightens the load, a little relief, thoughts disappeared, soothing, switch off, melting away, difficult to be there quick enough, oh, isn't that true? <laughs> Absolutely, it's okay to feel this. Less pressure, a reminder to pause, so a, a sort of feedback to the sense of pausing. Somebody who says they could sleep, Lindsay, a huge relief. Allowing the space to move into, oh, the opposite of the norm. That's a good observation, absolutely. Olivia says she forgot the issue. It's not always, not always possible at difficult times, thank you. That's really worth pointing out a part of somebody won't believe it, and, and that's fine. So we're not trying to persuade ourselves of the impersuadable or the unpersuadable. Um, it's a sense of just um, quietening or um, inclining the mind in this direction and allowing. Yeah, thank you so much for that. So we'll turn the chat off in about 10 seconds. Hmm energy and negativity soften and dissolves. The next day, Brenda says it seemed less important. Hmm. Thank you, thank you. So what about, that was when things are negative. What about when a sensational thought feels pleasant? I know that for many, it has been a big relief sometimes to say, it's okay to like this, to appreciate pleasant feelings rather than dampening them for fear of disappointment or clinging to them for fear they'll go away. But someone raised an important point about things we are addicted to, and I want to say a few words about this. Addiction is a spectrum from apparently tiny things like needing our preferred food or drink and getting upset if we can't have it, to much more destructive addictions to alcohol or drugs or other things. And if we say it's okay to like this, isn't it dangerous? That was the question, and it's a good question. Couldn't it make the addiction worse? Well, the first thing to say is that all these phrases are ways of exploring the mind. 
They are small gestures of kindness, if you like, not instructions to be followed rigidly as universal rules for life. So if any of them are unhelpful for you, feel free to adapt them or let them go, at least for now. So what about this phrase, it's okay to like this? What we are doing is using this phrase to help us slow down to see clearly the mind and its reactions by noticing what it is that's made contact with the mind and its feeling tone. And this is the thing, by slowing down, you may have the chance to see the very moment when you move from simple appreciation to attachment, from a sense of this is sufficient to the urge to want more, from sensation to command. But, and this is important too, if you are aware there are some situations which are just too risky for you for now, when even approaching the thing that you're addicted to is likely to lead to difficulties, especially when you're tired or hungry, then sometimes you may just have to walk away, at least for now. This is what might be called mindful avoidance, intentionally putting yourself at a distance from the situation where you know you'll slide. Here, mindfulness becomes your guardian and says, just don't go there. Now, looking frame by frame can help us see the warning signs more clearly. And then if we do slide, mindfulness can help pick ourselves up and start over again. And looking closely in this way can reveal other things too. At Brown University in the US, Judd Brewer works with people who are addicted. For example, in one study of people addicted to cigarettes, he found that when they slowed down and really noticed the taste of a cigarette, they very often didn't actually like it. Do look up his work. His name is Judson Judd Brewer, B-R-E-W-E-R. -E but addiction, serious problems like that, raise an important general issue. And that is this. We shouldn't expect that mindfulness practice will cure or heal all our problems by itself. Here's an analogy. I know someone now in her 90th year who has mobility problems. There are some steps down into her garden. It is obviously really helpful if she can be mindful as she uses the steps. But it was the OT, the occupational therapist, who advised that the steps should all be the same four inches in depth. And it was her daughter who designed the decking to enable this to happen, and a local builder who built it. And it was the physiotherapist who helped maintain strength in her arm so she could support herself on the rail. All these specialists doing their thing wonderfully well. Mindfulness is great, but it's not the only thing. And so when we have challenges, physical or emotional, it's never a failure to ask other people and agencies for help who might use other approaches for, to help us. And if mindfulness gives us the courage to ask for help, it's already done important work. So let's take a breathing space for a couple of minutes before we come to this week's theme. So coming to sit and noticing perhaps the change in posture, if you wish, letting your eyes close if that feels comfortable and noticing the weather pattern in mind and body right now.
and any feeling tones, any likes or dislikes of whatever's coming up for you. Acknowledging, making space for it all. And then at a certain point, we move to step two of the breathing space, gathering our attention and placing it on the chosen anchor. What is it that will ground us most helpfully right now? And then step three, expanding the attention to taking the whole body sitting here and all the sensations in the body from head to toe. And as best we can, allowing our body to be just as it is. A sense of coming home. And then beginning to move fingers and toes, opening your eyes if they've been closed, taking in the room again. So the aim this week is to bring together what we've been learning to help explore difficult emotions. And the issue here is not to get rid of such emotions from your life. They'll still visit us all from time to time, sometimes very often. The issue is why they stick around. Emotions have evolved as important signals that something is going on that may need your attention and possible action. For any animal, if there's danger, fight, freeze or run. But because emotions are signals, they evolved to be temporary. When the danger is gone, the alarm is meant to switch off. An alarm signal that switches on when there is no danger or that doesn't switch off when a danger is past is no good at all. You may remember when car alarms were new, when an alarm sounded, we all paid attention. Quick, a thief is stealing someone's car. And now, no one pays attention. Car alarms go on too easily and for too long, and they're mostly false alarms. So car makers now have to make the alarm switch off automatically after a few minutes. If only we knew how to do the same with our minds, those times when we know there's nothing more we can do, but the mind won't switch off. It's not at all surprising that emotional alarms entangle us. And although such tangles exhaust and deplete us, we come to accept them as normal and inescapable. So the aim of the practice is to see clearly the tangle that comes with emotions that makes them persist long after the original situation or emotional would, emotion would have gone. Could we get to the point where we feel an emotion, yes, really feel it, 
but also see clearly the pull it has towards the edge of the spiral and see if we can learn to let it go before we tip down into the spiral or to exit the spiral if we have been sucked in. So at some point, if we have the energy and are not too tired, we might experiment with gradually bringing these tangles right into the laboratory of our practice. We'd have to start with small things just to experiment, but the aim would be to see what happens if we allow some small emotional turbulence to remain in awareness long enough to use the skills we've been practicing, to see the unpleasant feeling tone and witness how easily the mind creates extra noise because we don't like it. That's what we'll practice today. Turning towards emotional difficulties in this way may be new for many of us. Normally, because such emotions are unpleasant, we naturally turn away, so don't see what's happening. Can we begin to turn towards these emotions in a way that might unveil what's going on? To see the process clearly, we don't look directly at the mind for too long. Like looking at an eclipse of the sun, we don't look directly at it. With an eclipse, we take steps to view it without being dazzled or harmed by its intensity. And remarkably, there's a way of doing a similar thing with distressing emotions too. When they come to mind, or we bring them to mind deliberately as an experiment, we shift our attention to the effect they're having on the body. Why the body? Because as we saw last time, emotional images and thoughts bring with them a host of possible actions like troops readying themselves for battle. And the body has to budget for these actions by releasing adrenaline and cortisol, contracting muscles, diverting blood flow and so on. Because of this, we can often pick up the bodily changes created by the difficult emotion. These body sensations also have a feeling tone, often unpleasant. So we're inclined to turn away from them or resist them too. But although the sensations are an integral part of the emotional cascade, they are usually not so intense or adhesive as the thoughts, images and emotions running through the mind. For this reason, we can find our attention can remain longer on the body as the sensations change and flux. And something else can happen too. Normally, when the body gears up for action, the brain senses this and it reinforces and fuels the mind's worst imaginings. If the troops are beginning to mobilize, there must be a threat. The result is that the mind's photo burst seems even more solid, more true, more distressing. These feedback messages from the body are unhelpful because they prevent the alarm being switched off. By bringing the sensations and their feeling tone into the light of awareness, we dissolve that link in the chain. The feedback loop from the body back to the mind slows down and the sense of urgency dissolves too. So in a moment, we'll begin to explore difficult emotions directly. We mentioned that it's important to start with small difficulties, 
perhaps things that happen in daily living that create a, a bit of turbulence, but not huge. Maybe take a moment now to think about what these things might be for you. For example, you may have asked someone to fix something or tidy up and they haven't done it or not as you wanted it done. Or you might have had a, a small disagreement with someone rather like this. Or perhaps you'd arranged to meet someone and they were very late or forgot. And many of these can be quite small, but they create just enough turbulence in the mind to practice with. Small feelings of irritation or of being let down. And if you want, perhaps putting some of these things in the chat now, we'll open it for a minute or two. And if you can think of these little examples, that don't have to be very personal, um, just put some of them in the chat now and we'll get a sense of what sort of things um, you'll be working with. Emptying the dishwasher, not being listened to, frustration, something, bathroom, some problem with the bathroom, there's always problems with bathroom, damp patches, a call, a discount code not working, car not working this morning, absolutely boss criticizing something, change of plan, a husband's just been flashed up the screen there, um, leaking roof, hmm. not communicating clearly, no help to clean the house, technology breaking down, trouble with builders, oh, endless list, somebody says, never ending. I think somebody just mentioned somebody else's name, being talked over, oh, worry about COVID, yes, indeed. The phone going wrong, difficulty parking, feeling judged, overwhelmed. The tone of another's voice, isn't that interesting? Just somebody's tone of voice can set Set our teeth on edge. Can't do things quickly enough. Worry about the future. Teenager noisily gaming, not listened to. Aggressive drivers getting lost. Oh, thank you. So we'll probably close the chat in a few seconds now. Gray, damp weather. A loved one who's ill and unhappy. Someone left my book out in the rain. Oh. Hmm untidy bedrooms. Thank you so much. Hmm. A lot of things to practice with. So the reason for starting with something small is that this meditation isn't about resolving the biggest problems in your life all at once. It's about beginning to learn a skill of gradually turning towards difficult emotions in a way that helps you respond skillfully rather than getting lost in the cascade of reactions. But be aware that some small memories can bring up heavier ones sometimes. So if at any time a memory feels overwhelming, then feel free to return to your anchors, feet, seat, hands, sounds or breath, or opening your eyes if you choose. Or if you don't want to leave it completely, choosing how close you want to go towards a difficulty, staying just on the edges of it, seeing it a little way off in the distance or holding it in a wild field of awareness, a wide field of awareness that perhaps includes the whole body, always knowing where your anchors are. So we're going to sit now for uh, about 10 minutes, a little over 10 minutes, and explore difficulty in this way. So coming to sit. And start by finding your ground. 
settling into your posture. Knowing where your anchors are, a particular place or some combination of places that for you help you feel grounded, settled. And then at a certain point, expanding the awareness to the whole body. Noticing all the sensations here in the body, from the crown of the head to the bottom of the feet, right out to the surface of the skin where you may feel contact of clothes or the air moving. We may notice if the shoulders are tightening up and allow them to, to drop a little. We may notice a frown in our face and allow it to dissolve a little. Sometimes holding the whole body, the whole landscape of the body in a wide field of awareness. And then sometimes if you choose, you might want to zoom in close to particular bundles of sensations. Your choice, just practicing this in your own way for a few moments. And as you allow the sensations to be felt, noticing also their tonality. How do they feel? Pleasant, unpleasant, or somewhere on the spectrum in between? And if they feel pleasant, if there are any sensations that feel pleasant, then if you choose, you could add, it's okay to like this. No further action needed. And if any sensations are intense or discomfort, discomforting or unpleasant, noticing these two are unpleasant. It's okay not to like it, it's natural. Knowing you can always change your posture to ease discomfort and noticing the changing sensations and any change in the feeling tone 
or if you choose staying still and just noticing what it does as best you can. If you find your mind is distracted by thoughts or emotions that are difficult in some way, then this is an opportunity to practice this new way of exploring difficulty. So instead of coming back to the body or to our anchors as we've been practicing up till now, allowing it perhaps to remain in the mind if you feel you've got enough energy for this and not too tired. Letting it remain for a little while and the next step is to drop into the body and see where in the body this is being felt. And if nothing is coming up spontaneously now and you want to experiment with this new way of exploring difficulty, then bringing to mind one of those difficulties that we were thinking of before, not too large, not too important, something that creates just a little bit of upset, if that's possible. Imagining it vividly. And when it's come, letting it remain on the workbench of the mind as you drop your attention into the body and see where in the body there may be sensations created by this difficult emotion. Maybe a particular region of the body or spread between different regions moving your attention right up to, and perhaps even into, the bundle of sensations that may be here. It may be quite distinct or very subtle. If you can't feel anything, then practice this with any sensations that you discover. When you know these sensations are here, then you could practice breathing into them on the in-breath and out from them on the out-breath, imagining that. Not to change them in any way, but to make space for them. To cradle them in awareness. And if they're unpleasant, saying, it's okay not to like this. Acknowledging any unpleasantness. And saying, it's okay not to like this. If the image stops pulling for your attention or fades in some way, then making a choice. Do I want to bring up another difficulty or go around with the same one again and place it on the workbench of the mind? Your choice. Or just come back to your anchors. 
and always coming back to the anchors if something feels overwhelming. That's fine. If your body begins to feel restless or the mind feels restless, feeling free to saying inwardly this gesture of kindness, no action needed right now at this moment. Noticing if the mind has run away with you in some way. And if it has, noticing if it's affecting the body. And once again, noticing the sensations in the body, maybe in the same place, maybe a different place. And now at a certain point, coming back to your anchors, deliberately letting go of this experiment and focusing on your anchors, the feet and the floor, or your hands in your lap. The sense of the body resting on the chair. The sounds around you. Or your breath. And perhaps even noticing the feeling tone of this mindfulness itself as you rest in awareness now. This intention to bring kindness and space and compassion to your body and your mind. How does it feel? This mindful awareness as you sit here. And then at a certain point, beginning to move fingers and toes, letting your eyes open if they've been closed. And 
taking the room again. So in a moment, I'm going to hand back to Elin for our Q&A session. And just before we do, I'm going to open the chat for just one minute, just if there's any reactions to that practice, any anything that you want to comment on, just a, a word or a phrase before we go to Q&A. Hard to hang on to the thought, feeling restless and fidgety. Yeah, restless legs, mm. heaviness, tightness, so tired. Somebody said it cooled the emotion. Somebody said we're freeing, somebody else. Ah, familiar tightness in the tummy, in the stomach, yeah. Anxiety moving to calmer feelings, powerful. And mindfulness feels sweet. Befriending difficulties, yeah, isn't that very, very common actually. Sweating or jumpy, acknowledging and resting with it. A softening of the jaw, the mind wandering to avoid having to think about the difficulty, yep. Yeah, that one, very common, very common. Thank you for sharing that. Rediscovering the power of curiosity. Thank you. And the mind running through a mixture of emotion and the body reaction. Thank you. Well, we'll just close the chat in a few seconds. And that's an interesting one that Sarah says what we thought was a little minor worry seemed to be the tip of an enormous iceberg, yeah. So it's really worth being aware that that can sometimes happen and you don't need to do everything all at once, yeah? A toe in the water is fine. So thank you, I want to turn to the Q&A now, but I just want to say that next week, uh, before we go into the Q&A this week, Lisa Feldman Barrett is not able to be with us for the keynote. So we'll have an extra frame by frame session we're going to be pausing and reflecting both through Q&A and through practice, through more science on what we're learning. But now over to Elin for the questions from today. Elin. Thank you very much, Mark, and thank you all. So indeed, we have some questions coming in. Um, we have a question here from a participant. He says or she says that I'm aware of the bodily changes and allow them, but they still persist. And will they eventually go with practice? Um, there's a comment that goes alongside this question. The person says, the flip side of emotional entanglement is emotional numbness. So as often happens in trauma or repression, might you be able to speak about how we might work frame by frame to turn towards emotional numbness? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what was the first question again? It was about... The first one was about, I'm aware of the bodily changes. Yeah. And then... I allow them, but they still persist. Will they eventually go with practice? Okay. So the bodily changes may, it, it depends. So these cascades happen very, very quickly. And they are a very rapid uh, flip between body to mind, mind to body, mind, mind to body. And it's just almost impossible to know what the autonomous activity of the mind would be if it didn't have the body to gear it up in this way or to rev it up, or what the activity of the body would be if it didn't have the mind to rev it up, because they're so closely linked. So 
Um, what we're looking at here is as to see if we can um, see clearly the extent to which the bits of the revving up can be quieted down. And uh, that's, um, it's, it's takes some practice, this is the point. So it's not gonna happen very quickly, but if, it, if, if, we, if we can allow, of what you can see, at least start with seeing clearly and seeing the feeling tone clearly, and then saying that feeling tone, actually, we don't need to react to the feeling tone. So if it's unpleasant, we don't have to resist it or push it away, um, then that itself dampens down the resistance, which can then damp down the cascade. So it may do, or it may the body sensation may continue, but you don't find them interfering so much because they don't seem to matter so much to the stability of your mind. And as for the numbness, this is a case where, again, it's a spectrum um, uh, and there can be real states of numbness that, that requires specialist advice and help from a psychologist or, or um, but there are other smaller states of numbness that we can practice with. We can notice what are the triggers for them um, we can notice whether they're unpleasant, for example. And if so, what happens when we say, it's okay not to like them and see if they, um, they have more change in them than we think when we look at them. But again, we take it very gently and we don't try to go in all at once. We know where our ground is, where our anchor's in before we start approaching something that creates numbness because often these are signals that difficult things are there and therefore we need to be kind to ourselves as we do this. Thank you, thank you very much. And the next one, um, someone's asking, different about anchors, could a smell actually be an anchor? So for instance, a pleasant smell such as jasmine or roses? Yeah, so I think any, um, any anchor that works for you is fine. So do experiment. Do experiment. You know, we, we talk about the bodily anchors. Those are the sort of the ones that are probably most commonly used. The breath, of course, and the rest of the body, but sounds and smells and even opening your eyes. I mean, one of the reasons why we don't normally just start with opening eyes is because the world can be very distracting and the visual system sits at the, at the, at the sort of hub. I mean, not literally sits at the hub, but is at the hub of a lot of activity. So we tend to get drawn in if we open our eyes, but you could open your eyes and just gaze at one thing. Um, then if you're very unsettled, just move your eyes around and, and look at particular objects in sequence, maybe even counting them. But, but do experiment, do explore. This is your practice, not anybody else's. Yeah, as you mentioned, isn't it? The laboratory of our minds, having that. The laboratory of our minds, absolutely. Um, so another one with regards to uh, discrimination, this difference between meditation and dissociation. Um, and they gave a very um, kind of example that many of us can identify with. The person says, how can I make a difference between um, meditating or dissociating? <laughs> I can easily lose two to three hours. The person describes dissociating in the house and the time just passes by. How do I know whether is this kind of just blanking out or is it being sort of aware? Mm. I think if, I mean, we do spend a lot of our time uh, blanking out. Um, and uh, if, if you can experiment with just seeing where your mind is 
at particular points. If, if it's mindfulness, then it will be relatively easy to sort of just check in. If it's not, it'll be more difficult to check in. You'll just find the time has gone. Um, some people use little timers or something just to check in, say, well, where's my mind now? Some people find those really annoying. So, you know, it's up to, it's up to each one of us to decide what's, what, what works best. But generally speaking, mindfulness is different from um, just a sort of flow experience um, in the sense that mindfulness is not a state of mind. Um, mindfulness is awareness of states of mind. It's awareness of sights. It's awareness of sounds. Um, I once heard a conversation behind me in the bus, uh, which pricked up my ears because one lady was talking to another about mindfulness. And she said, oh, I was so mindful last weekend. I, I rode my bike into a bush. I was being so mindful. And I thought to myself, sit where you are, Mark. But that's seeing mindfulness as a sort of very, very relaxed state of mind in which you don't know where you are. But in fact, being mindful um, is about being aware, but also being aware of, is this the amount of awareness I need to do this task? Um, and uh, that takes practice, but that's, that's the um, mindfulness is, is, it's awareness rather than a state of mind, if you see what I mean. Thank you. Um, a comment from one of the participants, um, the person says, the observation is, thank you so much for explaining that the feeling tone is stronger and more frequent when under stress. So you mentioned that in last week's session. And also a continuation from one of the comments from last week as well is about mental model. It says, what is the mechanism for the brain switching from working off its mental model to working from actual data occurring in the moment? Okay, so in order to say, think of a YouTube video, the reason why you can stream very complicated YouTube videos or Netflix into your house uh, these days is because it uses redundancy in the signal. So the, the signal doesn't need every moment to update it because people, films and so on, don't have a lot of redundancy. Even people moving, if they're moving at a fairly regular pace or even fairly irregular state rate of acceleration across the screen, it can be predicted and taken into account. And therefore you only need extra data to update the scene. And you can use that as a model of the mind in a sense that the mind takes shortcuts all the time. It takes in a bit of data, it then creates a prediction on the base of that data. But, um, and it doesn't need to update if it doesn't get very strong signals saying that something new has happened. And if you're walking through the park, generally it's a park you know it's easy not to have to update the data. Um, but we can um, increase the signal and the precision of the data. So typically, for example, in mindful walking, we do exactly that. We increase the precision of the data from our feet. And that means that you, the balance of the predictive mind versus the data-driven mind begins to shift. And and this is what we're, in one way of seeing mindfulness is that's what we're, that's what we're um, exploring, how to be more data sensitive when we need to be and update that prediction more frequently. And uh, uh, if Lisa Feldman Barrett was here next week, she would probably explain this because um, her book, which is called How Emotions Are Made, 
um, I'll maybe next week give some actual reading reading uh, to, to back up the course. But her book, Lisa Feldman Barrett, How Emotions Are Made, the first six chapters goes through this in great precision. So it's, it's really worth uh, uh, looking at that book. Thank you. So quite a bit more practice required, isn't it? <laughs> then this might be a good time to actually talk about how can we take this into our week? What kind of practices would you suggest, Mark? Okay, so I think this week, if you want to incorporate into your own practice, the befriending, um, and you might want to do that alternate days, days one, three, and five, and perhaps note in a journal how things go each day, any difficulties or delights or discoveries, quite difficult sometimes there's a sort of a sense of rejection comes up oh, I don't deserve this see what what happens um, and then on alternate days incorporating this exploring difficulty meditation and again note in your journal how things go each day so those of you who have done MBCT or the frantic world program know this exploring difficulty meditation but what we're doing here is using the new skills that we're learning that's the acknowledgement of feeling tone, very important, that first step acknowledging, then the allowing, it's okay to like this or not to like this, and then the sense of um, uh, no action needed to um, a gesture of kindness towards the mind. And then you could do this during the day as well. So your everyday mindfulness practice can be turning towards difficulty in everyday life as you move through the activities of each day noticing any moments when you become aware of unpleasantness, move your attention to the body and notice how and where the body is reacting. Stay a moment, if you will, if you are willing to do so, to see what changes and what stays the same. See the feeling tone of what's happening. It may be more variable than you think. And see also if there's any reaction to what's happening, a wish to get rid of the unpleasantness. So that also can bring up its own feeling tone. So you could see frame by frame, if you're willing to do so, how you can bring this into your daily life, because that's ultimately what we're doing. Mindfulness is practicing a little bit each day so that it can change what happens in your daily life. So those are some of the things that you can be, you can be doing. Thank, thank you, you, thank you for those ideas, Mark. So we've come to the end of our session. Uh, we do have a couple of announcements. Uh, Mark's mentioned some of them already. The um, Lisa felt Lynn Barrett, uh, who was the original scheduled keynote, as Mark says, will not be able to make next week. However, she'll be coming to join us in September. So we'll still be able to uh, listen to her. And because of that, we have had a discussion with Mark and he has kindly suggested that he could do a pause and reflect, which we are delighted about. So next week, uh, Mark will still be back and doing a pause and reflect as well as to be able to respond to questions that, you know, has been coming through over the weeks as well. So this is what I call a wonderful mindfulness bonus opportunity. So we really look forward to welcoming all of you back to join us next Wednesday with Mark with Pause and Reflect. And also the recordings for today's session, you can listen to them over the YouTube, as well as the podcast is available on the OMC website as well as a link. So you can go onto the website or look in YouTube. So we trust you have enjoyed today's frame by frame session with Mark. And thank you very much, Mark. And thank you all very much for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again and wishing each and every one of you a blessed week. See you all next week. And chat's open now for people to say their goodbyes in their various languages. Thank you all. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks, Elaine.